Wonderful. When I saw that, I said, we've got to show that. The South people will, will love that. I, uh, at Christmas Eve, it's, uh, it's one of those wonderful privileges to be able to talk about really what is one of the most exciting times of the year for our culture. And, uh, and it really is an opportunity to talk about the wonder of Christmas. And, uh, and the wonder of Christmas where you really start having a lot of questions. You, you wonder what it is that you're going to have uh, under the Christmas tree. You wonder whether your aunt is going to get you that oversized sweater. Sorry for all the ants who are busy knitting, maybe, as I speak. Or maybe you're going to get those socks. I wonder, if, as, a, as, as a parent, I'm thinking, I wonder how I'm going to pay for all this. Uh, and then, of course, the big one, especially at my time of life, is I wonder how much weight I'm going to be putting on over the next two weeks. And I wonder whether I'm actually going to be able to get back to where I was before, and that's just a wonderment that I, that I leave alone. Uh, when we get closer to New Year, our, our questions really start getting more philosophical, and we start wondering what 2019 is going to bring for us, whether or not it's going to be better than 2018, perhaps. Maybe the, the wonders, the questions get even bigger. I, I, wonder, uh, I wonder why things are the way that they are. I wonder whether or not things are going to get any better. I wonder really what is my, uh, my purpose in life. I wonder whether there is a God. I wonder whether there is anything to this Christmas time. I wonder whether there is actually a God who loves me. And maybe, maybe those, those Christians have got something right. The questions can get bigger and bigger, and, and the questions are really important to ask. And depending on your worldview and your experience and your, and, and your thoughts and your reading and your education, you will have different approaches to answering some of those really big questions. We've just come through a series in the fall called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions About Life and About God. And we asked really great defining questions that that if we can find the answer to, they really can't be ignored. Because if there is a God, and if Christmas is a message that is true, then we would be crazy to ignore it. They're, they're big questions, and ones that, depending on your education background, and your reading, and your experience, or your worldview, you will have a certain way of approaching those questions. Maybe you have somebody you enjoy talking to and discussing with, or maybe you have a favorite writer, or a favorite uh, person you like to listen to on a podcast, whatever it might be, maybe your approach to these really big life questions is just to shelve it and say, you know, I can't actually think about that right now. I just need to get through today. I just need to, I just need to figure out this whole thing, parenting. I need to figure out my work. I need to figure out these, these kind of, uh, the things that are facing us on a day-to-day. I, I haven't got time to think about the really big questions, and so we shake it off and we ignore it. There were some characters in the nativity that uh, we don't know very much about at all who had some very big questions, and then these guys uh, were the, um, I'm hoping my slides, there we go, the three kings, uh, the three kings, or the three wise men. Uh, this, this is, they're an interesting group. Matthew, it really gives us a, Matthew was one of the followers of Jesus. He was uh, very close to Jesus, very detailed writer. He's the one that we really go to for the intricacies of the Bible story, the nativity. And so you read about the wise men in Matthew, and it says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? That's a big question. And that's a question really that we ought to be leaning into at Christmas time. Again, it would be it would be kind of crazy to ignore something if there's a hint of it possibly being true. That if Jesus was who he said he was and said what he said and these things actually happened, then we ought to listen to what he said. And so the Magi came and they asked this big question, where is the one born to be king of the Jews? We don't know very much about them. In fact, they've never mentioned before Matthew and they're never mentioned again after Matthew. The the Bible uh, often repeats characters all the way through it. The Magi, as Matthew calls them here, this is the one time you're actually coming to connection with them and this whole passage in Matthew chapter 2. But we we jump to conclusions. We we have assumptions about things that the reality is, is that they're often very different from, uh, from what we think. I want to introduce you to somebody who came to our family a couple of weeks ago, um, and her name is uh, Maggie. This is Maggie. I never get a response like that when I'm preaching. Show you guys a puppy, and it's like a palm of the hand. Her name is Maggie. This is her sat for the one time that she's not pulling the tree over. Um, She's about 13 weeks old, and she's a -a sheepadoodle. And she has brought a lot of cuddles and chaos in equal measure. The assumption is, is you know the whole phrase, a puppy is for life, not just for Christmas. Boy, that's true. I, you know, I, we've had a puppy before. It was about 13 years ago. And, and I don't know whether this is just a gift a parent has, but we have an ability just to shut out. Certainly I do, anyway. I, I have this ability to shut out the, the, all the things that come attached and come out of these wonderful creatures. She's lovely and she's, she's brought us a lot of joy, don't get me wrong. But when you actually see uh, pictures and you see videos of puppies bouncing around, especially in our social media world, everybody has a cute puppy or kitten. The reality, the assumption and the actual reality are far removed. The, and I realized, I start, panic started to set in a little bit when we knew that she was coming uh, a couple of weeks ago, she was arriving actually by plane, because that's how she rolls. She goes by plane, helicopter preferably, but you know. Um, she was landing, come from Edmonton, so thank you Edmonton for producing something so beautiful, who knew? Anyway, um, so, so she was landing and I needed to get some food, went into PetSmart. I thought, you know what, I'll just grab a bag of puppy food. It's not going to be a problem. I went into PetSmart and what I, I, I realized then, I thought, I don't know what we've got ourselves into. Because first of all, people are serious in that place. This is like, you know, puppydom is really a serious business. But then I went into the aisle expecting there to be a bag of puppy food. How many of you know where I'm going with this? There are a ridiculous amounts of puppy food lining and so I thought, okay, puppy food. I've been told this is the make I need. So I looked and I was like, okay, it needs to be canine royal. Nice. So I was looking canine royal. Puppy food. Got it. Puppy food. Oh, what size is she? I, I don't know. There's different sizes of puppy for puppy food. Okay, so I'm looking and I start texting, slightly panicky to Sarah. 
What, what size is she going to be? Well, she's about this poundage. Oh, okay, great. So, oh, good. And then I look to the right, and then, it's, and then there's puppy food for Labradors, puppy food for Poodles, puppy food for, for all the different makes. Is that what you call them? Um, what are they called? Styles? Breeds. Thank you, C. I'm in trouble. Styles. And I was like, well, there's sheep-a-doodle. There is no sheep-a-doodle. Do I get half poodle and half sheepdog? And it was panicky. The assumption is far removed from the reality. And I want to prove it to you. When it comes to these guys, the Magi, our assumption of what actually happened at Christmas is far removed from reality. So I've got some prizes. I'm going to ask you some questions because we've been talking about prizes. So it's going to start off. Don't, generally, for those of you who are visiting, when I ask my wonderful church family questions, they get very quiet until I finish preaching, and then they, they head for me with their questions, which is great. So feel free to, uh, if I hear you, and I'm a little hard of hearing, you're going to get a prize if you get it right, okay? And if you're extra energetic and you have a child with you, you can throw your child up in the air, and, and I will see, hopefully, and you can get candy. So let's start it off really easy. How many... Jesus. The answer is not always Jesus. A lot of the time, but not always. You don't know. You don't know. What I'm going to ask. How many? How many tax collectors were there in Bethlehem? You don't know the question yet. <laughs> how many wise men were there? Three. Who said three? I'm, okay. So you need heads up now. If those of you have fallen asleep, there's going to be a candy heading your way. All right, young man right in the middle there, next to Anita. There wasn't three, but he still gets a candy because he was very well behaved. We actually don't know how many there were. We assume that there were three, so whoever said that over there, you can feel extra smoke. Okay, you can get one as well. We don't know how many wise men there were. We assume there was three because there was three gifts. Frankincense. Myrrh. Gold just sounds so unsure. Is there a catch? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, so what did they ride on? What was that? Camels. You know what? I'm going to give you a candy as well because we actually don't know. We don't know what they rode on. But here's, here's another question. Where did this? Is, so you need to think about the scripture a little bit. There's a clue behind me. Where did they come from? Okay, I only have ears for little ones. I'm sorry. All right, Teresa, you deserve one. There you go. The, sorry? East. Excellent. Okay, you ready? Okay. Oh, dive. Excellent. Well done. Nice catch. I was heading straight to your sister. You saved her. The East. You know, can anybody who's... Whereabouts in the East do Bible scholars actually think that the wise men or the Magi came from? What country? What modern-day country? Oh, Iraq, yes. Who said that? Okay, you're, you're going to get the candy. Are you ready? Okay. Nice. Did I hit somebody then? I'm sorry. All right. What was their, what was their job? For those who haven't had a candy yet, what was their job? It says magi. What's a magi? There's actually a clue 
in the name. Somebody said it, I think. Did somebody say? Anybody? Okay, adults. Magician, okay. Now, don't think, Zoe, that's your, okay. Don't think, pardon? We'll chat later, Brad. Have a candy, chew on this. Let me preach. Um, We don't actually know specifically, other than magi, history tells us, it is short, which is where we get our word magician from, but don't think kind of David Blay and card tricks. Think in terms of, they were great, uh, they were really like a specific kind of priest. What they did was, is they were advisors to the kings. And so that's where we get the idea from them being kings of Orientia. So um, they weren't actually kings. They were advisors to kings because they were extremely smart at philosophy and math and science. They asked big questions for a living. And they came, we reckon, from Iraq, which Iraq is around about 1,600 kilometers away from Bethlehem. They traveled a long, long way. And they specifically, for a job, for a living, asked big questions questions. And of course, they were trained question askers, and we know them most famously for looking at the stars. They were stargazers. And the stars have an interesting effect on us even now. You don't need to know a lot about stars or the planets, and it's something that I have a natural interest in. I enjoy reading about the facts, and and it's really mind-bending how big the universe is. But it's, it's impossible to look at the universe and genuinely go, wow, I'm amazing. I am incredible. Look at all those stars. How great am I? It's really difficult to do that because there's something about the stars that pulls questions and thoughts and and big things out of us, that we actually consider things that we ordinarily, we get very philosophical. And I don't know about you, but there's been times I've looked at the stars, and it happened to me the other night. It was a beautiful night. Guess who I was outside with waiting for them to do their business? I was looking up at the stars waiting for this lovely little Maggie to do her thing. and, And I'm like, I can't put into words what's going on in my mind and my heart right now. It seems to connect with us in a way that nothing else can. Maybe the mountains and scenery get there a little bit, but stars are phenomenal. They looked up and they asked big questions. And I wonder whether you've done that. I wonder whether you can relate to that. That you've been times in your life when you've gone out and you've looked up at the stars and you've just said, why? Why is it this way? Why is life the way it is? What purpose do I have? Maybe you can't put words to it. If you're an artist, maybe that's a way you express some of your questions or a musician or, or maybe you just like to write. Whatever it might be that you try and express the why that's going on inside of you and the universe, the stars seem to pull that out of us. Why? Maybe you've shook a fist at the God of the stars. And he said, why does it have to be this way, God? Why did you let that happen, God? I need an answer because I'm not going to believe in a God that does this and whatever that might be. And I'm not here to answer those questions. What I am here to ask is I wonder whether or not you've actually been to that place. Because look what the Magi did. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
Now, these are gentlemen that have looked at stars and they've asked questions. They've been trained to the highest level. They were advisors to the king and they followed this star. One of the things that came through the series that we've just done, and I would encourage you, you can go online and you can listen to it, wpsouth.ca, and and you can look at the FAQ series. Here's one of the things that came out time and time and time again. Time again. Is that very, very smart, educated people reject Jesus. They reject the Bible. They reject God. They are very committed to their philosophy their worldview, their belief, and we actually examine this, their faith. Because we all have a world belief system. We all have a lens through which we look at life through. And they're very committed to it, and they've rejected Jesus. Very smart people. And we never once pulled them down in our series, because some Christians do that, and that's not right. However, the opposite is also true. Some very, very smart, educated people, scientists, Uh, philosophers, biologists, physicists, people who really ask big questions for a living, have also done what these wise men did. They went and they followed and they came to the conclusion that Jesus is who he said he was. He did do what he said he did and he is the Son of God. And in fact, in many ways, they were like the Magi who went and knelt and bowed. Smart people reject him. Smart people receive him. Both are true. Now, I wouldn't say that really I'm particularly smart in that respect. But I didn't reject him. I followed him. See, these men, they looked far for the answer. And here's what I want to gently ask you. Have you? Have you looked far for the answer? Have you examined? Have you researched? Have you doubted your doubts? Have you examined, have you researched, have you looked to the stars, have you asked questions, have you come to church, have you looked into other philosophies, have you actually examined? They look far for the answer. They ask the question why, and maybe you have as well. We want answers. We feel like we deserve answers. But here's what the wise men actually found. What they found was, not specific answers to their specific questions, what they found was, was when they went far, they found a God who came near. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas isn't about answering all our different questions, and I'll come to that in a second. Christmas is about a God who came near. That's what the story is about. And can I say this lovingly? I believe and I'm, I'm almost 46 years old, and, and over these years, I've come to this conclusion more and more. I believe what we really, really need is not answers. What we need is presence. We need people. We need closeness. We need connection. What we actually want, we think, is answers. But what we actually need is not far from us, and his name is God. And you might say, look, I want the answers. It will help. But the reality is, finding the answer to our question doesn't take the tension or the trouble or the difficulty away. Things continue to go wrong. A philosopher and preacher called Fred, uh, Frederick Buchner said, he said, just imagine for a second that one night as you looked out to the stars, that words appeared, I am, God is. That we had a physical reality that God existed. You're wrong. 
They were right all along. I don't know, whatever it might be. Imagine it just appeared. Can you imagine what would happen that week? If, if people saw this happen, God is, God is love. Something like that that appeared in the stars. Frederick said this, that the churches would be filled. Stadiums would be overflowing with people, asking big questions because this proof has come. But then he suggested this, and this was really interesting. He said this, but for how long? Would there come a point where somebody would stand out one night, look at the stars where it says, I am, and they would say, so what? So what? What difference does it make? Got my answer. Great. So what? So what? See, I wonder whether what we really want is connection. I remember... Uh, when my children were very young, they fell over and they hurt themselves. They didn't need an answer to the question as to why that happened straight away. What they needed was their mum or their dad, somebody who loved them. We want presence when things go wrong. We want somebody when things go wrong. And the alternate is true too. When something goes right, we want to come and say, look at this, this is amazing. When you see this piece of art or this beautiful thing, you want to bring them and go, look. C.S. Lewis does some beautiful writing about this. He says this, that our enjoyment increases when we share the joy with someone else. A couple of days ago, I took my, uh, my younger daughter, who's 22, uh, on a date. We had a daddy-daughter date. And uh, we went for a nice dinner in Original Joe's, because that's how I roll. Original Joe's. It was nice. It was actually it was great, wasn't it? It was lovely. And then we went to the movies. And I went to see, with Zoe, Mary Poppins. I haven't actually, I've got to confess, I've not actually seen the original one. I saw clips of it as a kid and I went, ah, no. I've not seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I've not seen Mary Poppins. I've not seen Saturday I know. I just saw, you know what, no, I'm just not, I'm not that bothered about that. So we went to see Mary Poppins. Now I'm going to let you guess as to why we went to see that particular movie. It's because Zoe wanted to see that. And there was something really enjoyable about enjoying this experience together. And I, I played a bit of a joke on her, as is my want. And uh, I went out and came back in. And I said, I forgot to tell you, because I thought she was going to go, oh, no. I forgot to tell you, this is the sing-along version with the bouncy ball. And I thought she was going to go, oh, Dad, no. But what actually her response was, yes. <laughs> I felt awful. And then I had to break it to her. Actually, no, it's just the... I also brought her a 3D pair of child glasses to wear as well, and it wasn't 3D. Um, we enjoy things together. We want somebody. We want presence. We don't want answers. We want presence. And here's what the kings found. They found when they came to Jesus, they found existence. They found being. They found companionship. They found connection. They found a God that came near. A God who came near who isn't some distance, a distant entity, who loved us so much, who came into the world. And remember, smart people, smart people follow Jesus to this day. So there's something in this. God came near. See, the wise men discovered a God who came and lived alongside of us, amongst us. The Bible says that he experiences what you experience. He's felt what we have felt. And he's lived the life that we could only dream about, that perfect life. But then he ultimately then did something amazing. The distance that we talk about, that we think God is, he closed this distance 
by coming to earth. And then he said, look, I will close the distance between you and me, not just then, but now as well. That you and I, in this century, can have that same nearness with God who is near. And it's through the cross. And I point because normally it's right there, but it's actually in the corner. Which, through the cross. That the experience of having God near is as real today, and I could argue more real today than it was for those wise men all those years ago. God came near and they knelt and experienced his closeness because truly that's what we mean. That, that, that the hope and the meaning of forgiveness and joy was wrapped in that manger and that hope and meaning of forgiveness and joy is available to you and me through the love of God who came near. It says in Manuel, it says that God came to us, that God is with us. Do you have that? Do you have that? the next time you gaze at the universe I just want to encourage you to do so and ask the question do I have that closeness in my life do I have that anchor do I have that one whose name is Jesus resident in my life because that distance that we have with God was closed by Jesus and the Bible word for that is called atonement literally means at one moment that we become one with God. We don't become God. That's not what I said. We become one with him. We start thinking like Jesus thought. We start acting like Jesus and start having him in our life. And that comes through us coming at a time like Christmas and recognizing that actually I need something more than hopes and dreams. I, I need something more tangible. So my prayer for you, and I'm going to pray in just a second is that this Christmas time that you would consider, like smart, wise people have before us, the God who is near. And that maybe that the God of the universe will actually become the God of your life. That he, being near, is a companion and close to you this Christmas. It's the greatest gift, the greatest gift that mankind has ever been given. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together today. And that, Lord, as we sing now, that, Lord, we sing with a joy in our hearts because, God, that you gave life, that you came, that, Lord, you love us, you understand what it is like to live the life that we live. And that, Lord, that we can sing with joy in our hearts, Lord, because Christmas shouts out that you are here, you're near And Lord, my prayer is, is that every person in this room, from young to not so young, every family that is represented, that Lord, when they ask the why, that God, that you would whisper to them, you would remind them of how much you love them, and that Lord, that they would seek your forgiveness, reach out, and that Lord, you would come near and live in them. So, Lord, we thank you and praise you for the joy that is Christmas. God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing Joy to the World. And uh, 